0: them in the days ahead. May they know their calling, that they are a called people to make a difference through their lives in this community and beyond. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. They need your encouragement. They need your deep love. And so I pray that you'll just fill them with uh, your encouragement, um, your divine power, that is everything we need to live a godly life and to live for you. And so, bless them and keep them. And may your face shine upon them so brightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Shake the love around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God bless you. Okay. All right. <clears throat> well, it's late, but... It- Oh well, it doesn't matter now. So, the text today is uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11. Let me read it to you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, thank you, is undergoing the same kind of struggles. And the God of our grace, who called you to this eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So these are actually Peter's final words in his first letter, 1 Peter. And, of course, it turns out, I didn't really plan it this way, but they're my final words. But as I meditated on the passage, um, they're really perfect. They're appropriate for all of us because they really just take us back to our need for God's power and God's care among us, both me and you. And so as I've repeated myself, but I'll say it again, but that Peter was writing to people, churches, who were facing enormous upheaval in their lives because of their faith in Jesus. And this led to all kinds of anxiety. They found themselves as misfits, Minorities in a culture hostile to their newfound faith in Jesus. And some of them lost status in the community. Maybe their jobs, friendships. Some have lost their livelihoods. And maybe in extreme cases, and of course we know it went to that measure, some of them even lost their lives. These were giant issues for followers of Jesus, giant issues, and their anxieties were real. Life was tough to be a follower of Jesus. Now, the wisdom we find here, I think, is appropriate for any kind of anxiety, and we as a church are going through this big transition, and I know it's tough. It causes anxiety. Things won't be the same. Change, as they say, is inevitable, but it just sucks sometimes, right? Sometimes change is subtle, easier to take. Sometimes it's just absolutely shocking. In fact, last week, um, we met some old friends and uh, a lady came up to us, and she said, "Have you heard about my husband?" And we had not. I hadn't seen them for 27 years. And then tears welled up in her eyes, and she explained to me that her husband, who is about my age, uh, succumbed to Alzheimer's disease. So bad that he is now in a in care, can't even speak, and I'm just speechless. I used to play football with him. He was super intelligent. Faithful worker. I mean that's just an altering life altering change in one's life. And sometimes it can be just that shocking. But the question is how do we as followers of Jesus respond to change? and the anxiety that comes with it in our lives. So in this passage, uh, Peter basically concludes with three commands. And the commands are, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, be self-controlled and alert, and finally, take your stand against the devil. So let's begin on the top end here. Does anyone think they're humble? What a question, right? Raise your hand. No, we won't do that. Uh, has anyone taken a st- course on the five steps to humility? And you got an A, and you brag about it. No, just kidding. Well, of course not, because that's not how humility works, Right? Humility humility is not something you go and get. Mark Galley said, The more we make humility our aim, the more we're tempted to become proud of our motives. Just like genuine faith, humility is not self-help. We grow in humility... When we respond, that's a key word in the Christian faith. You respond to God's initiative or his hand. Your response is what matters. Now, let's not misunderstand. We do have a part to play. After all, Peter says, humble yourself. It is a command humble yourself under God's mighty hand. God is calling us to respond with humility before God, especially and this is the critical issue in 1st Peter, especially when you're facing all kinds of anxieties. The early church was humbled by the external pressures of their lives. Insulted, persecuted, beaten down emotionally and socially, because of their faith in Jesus. And so these are the reasons for their anxiety, which is so completely understandable. I mean, we would be anxious too. You know, all of us, as I mentioned, face all kinds of trials, going through transition. I think beyond ourselves. I think about the families who had to evacuate, some losing their homes. I mean, wow. Wow. That causes a lot of angst. Cost of homes have skyrocketed in Calgary. I'm a little angst today, by the way. And, you know, we face uncertainties about the future. And then back to the spirit and message of First Peter, people who have faith in Christ look more like odd ducks, in a strange world, in a society driven by human wisdom and knowledge instead of the knowledge of God. But a key piece found in the next phrase here is humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So humility is about a relationship. We humble ourselves under God and his empowering grace. When people go through different time, difficult times, they are, in effect, being humbled. But what Peter is talking about is more than being humbled. The command is to humble ourselves... And it implies a decision within our heart to remain faithful to Jesus in the midst of our angst. And so there is a humbling that God calls us to in the midst of humiliation or anxiety or whatever it may be. So he's speaking really about a submissive spirit under God. A new attitude. And so Peter has already taught, and we've gone through this, that Christians will face trials. They will face suffering. And they are to expect it as followers of Jesus. These things shouldn't surprise us, he says. Sometimes we have it in our heads that God should not let bad things happen to us, or that maybe we don't deserve the anxieties of our life because we've been good people. But that's not very biblical. But humbling ourselves under God implies that we learn to accept God's hand, both the good and the bad. But maybe a critical question is, can God be trusted? Absolutely. God is pictured as above, and we are beneath him. So picture him reaching his strong hand out to us. Uh, Maybe you're dangling off the cliff. In that picture, you're drowning. You're having a rough time. But he's preparing to lift you up. Do you see that image? This is a strong hand. The phrase, the mighty hand of God, is a powerful image first used in Exodus chapter 13. And of course, it all is part of the great Exodus story, right? And God displayed his marvelous power from plague to plague, and finally the deliverance in the Red Sea. And Moses said to his people, The Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. He's powerful. But God does not reach out to us with a feeble hand, but with powerful hand. Strong and mighty hands, he gives us power and strength in weakness as we humble ourselves under his care. I mean, this is a huge theme in in, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one of my favorite passages here. And Paul counsels us to even delight, and what a word to stick in there. Delight in your weakness, as he says, because in those moments, this is where you experience the power and grace of God in greater measure. So it's this spiritual secret. When we become humble under God, that is when we experience a new insight, a new love a new empowerment like never before. I'm sure for many of you, your most intimate moments with God were probably in the moment of crisis and you and God together. I mean, it's true for me. Just because we face trials and anxiety, it isn't a sign that God is against you. Right? So we have to train our thinking a bit here. God is not against you, He's for you. When bad things happen, it doesn't mean God disapproves of you. He wants holiness, no doubt. But he wants you to experience the wonder of God's grace and power in new measure. And Paul says, I will boast all the more. First he says delight, now he says, I'm going to boast. Boast all the more. Gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So that God's strong hands may rest on me. Same idea. As crazy as it sounds, biblical wisdom says, hardships are opportunities for us to experience a new, fresh awakening of God's power when we humble ourselves before Him. So let's keep talking about how to grow in humility. Peter goes on to say, we humble ourselves... Under God, by casting our anxieties on Him. That's a pretty practical how to statement, right? Now, there are many passages in the New Testament about this. Uh, Probably the most famous one, Philippians 4 6, do not be anxious about anything. Uh, Jesus' words from the Beatitudes and so forth do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, do not worry, he says. And I think sometimes we misunderstand these verses because we don't have a on and off switch. Well, maybe someone here does. Do you have an on and off switch? You can just go boop. Today I'm going to be unanxious. And then we turn it back on. I'm anxious again. Wow, would that be convenient? We can't remove anxieties by pressing a button. We aren't robots. Thank God you're not a robot. We, human, we are human beings and we feel deeply. We have emotions. Neither can we remove external circumstances. They just come. But the Bible suggests a different way. Um, Let me explain it this way. I just started reading a book called Struggling with God. And it's a book about the Bible and mental illness, mental health, by Isabel Hamley. And she happens to be both a Old Testament Bible scholar and a mental health nurse. So she's kind of been working on these two things and putting it all together. So Hamley explains in a podcast um, about this book, and she just simply says, it isn't a book about our struggles with God. You know, when you hear the title Struggles with God, you're thinking about, you know, how you struggle with your frustrations with God or something like that, okay? So it's not about that. But it's a realistic book on learning to live through the messes of our life with God and through God. Does that make sense? God wants to walk with us. And for his love for us, he says, I am willing to walk in the mess of your life with you that's the gospel that's the incarnation to the extent of dying for us and all of us need to learn to struggle together with God or to use Peter's word under God which is still the same with God under his powerful presence and so I think this is what the Bible means to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, not as this one time, help me God. And then you go, well, he didn't help me. Right? In fact, it's almost like this switch. Well, turn the switch on, now God's going to help me because I shouted out some prayer. That would be a switch mentality. So casting your anxieties on God is more about this transparent, honest faithful journey yeah it's a journey where we walk with God where we regularly give ourselves to God in moments of joy and sadness and anger or whatever emotions you're facing you have invited God into your messy kitchen and said Lord I need you to walk with me and I choose to walk with you That's casting your anxiety on Him. God gives you permission to tear up before Him. Even to be angry. He can handle it. And when you do, He will help you to redeem your weakness and even plant seeds that turn into joy, even as the tears roll. That's the mystery of the gospel sometimes. Now, two commands remain, and uh, I won't spend as much time on this, but be self-controlled and alert and resist the devil. So I'm going to merge the two commands into one. You know, behind this ungodly world, Behind the persecution and suffering that Christians face in the world stands the devil. And Jesus has already defeated the devil at the cross through the resurrection. But the devil will do all he can to try to demoralize Christians until Jesus returns. And Jesus will return. And Satan will be his time will end. But in the meantime, he will try to deceive. He will make sure that we remain spiritually unaware and weak and feeble. That's what he's going to try to do. He will try to deceive. And so we're going to make sure that we are alert, self controlled. Uh, There's an image in um, ice hockey and other sports. too. coaches say to their players, keep your head on a swivel, right? Keep your head on a swivel. In other words, always be aware of what's happening around you because you never know who's going to deck you, right? That's our good Canadian hockey. Keep your head on a swivel. And so we need to spiritually keep our head on a swivel for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is coming back. Right? There's parables about this. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready for him? Because Jesus wants to come back to a people who are faithfully following him. Be ready for Jesus. And by the way, he wants to bless you and reward you when he comes back. He's dying to do that. He's dying to do that. We need to be ready. Don't miss out. Secondly, let's remember... We are fighting a spiritual battle as we mentioned. Our faith will be tested, whether this be external circumstances or internal desires of our own selfishness of the flesh or a demonic attack. Be self-controlled means to be clear-headed. Now this doesn't you know literally mean, You know, don't be drunk or don't be on drugs, but of course that's always a good idea, and you know that already. But it has to do with freedom from mental confusion, freedom from where your thinking is just a bit messed up. One Christian counselor um, said, in his experience, that at least half of the issues that he faced with his clients have to do with wrong thinking. Their thinking is gone askew. So people come up and come in with their issues, and it has everything to do with believing in things that are not even true about themselves, about others, about the world, about God, etc. etc. And so their thinking is messed up and leads to a whole host of issues in people's lives, right? And so today we are being flooded with a humanistic philosophy. Uh, You hear this all the time. You can be anyone you want to be through the power of human self. I mean, that's, that's kind of a slogan for our century, right? Yet... Young people are left discouraged and disillusioned and overwhelmed with this kind of agenda of self-discovery. They're completely confused. And then they feel worse. They feel worse and unworthy and go, what? Well, because it's not true. Right? Taught wrong thinking leads to disaster. Because everything falls on them to produce right the weight falls on them but this is precisely what the devil wants he wants confusion wrong thinking he wants us to put ourselves first and distrust god just as satan did in the garden of eden he will try to plant in our minds doubts about god's character and his goodness and his promises So that is why we need to be clear-headed or self-controlled theologically and spiritually about issues of sin and salvation, the centrality of the good news of Jesus as the only means to true freedom and salvation, and knowing our true identity in Jesus. Those are the determining things about God's calling for our lives. So Romans 12.2 says this. This is the New Living Translation, so it sounds a little bit different, different. But don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. There it is. So he's just assuming that these people that came from the Roman... Greco-Roman culture their, their thinking is not right their thinking must be changed they must be transformed our thinking must change so we think God's thoughts and when you learn to know God's will for your lives then we begin to understand do you desire to know God's will I think most of us will say yeah I want to do God's will I want to do God's will and that's great but your thinking must change in order to know the will of God. We must stop thinking the way the culture is teaching us, which puts human beings at the center. But God says, humble yourself. Where? Under God's powerful hands. He is the one who will guide you. That is the correct spiritual posture, letting God be God, letting God change the way you think so that you truly know God's will, and he will give it to you, I promise you. Your response to temptation and trials will come out of your thought life, actions come out of your thinking. Temptation is something all of us face. The devil will try to tempt you to trust yourself. He will tempt you to fill your sadness with something other than the things of God. He will tempt you to find satisfaction in shallow things. I mean, actually they're good things, but when they become main things, then they become off. Finding ultimate satisfaction in money and things, in food and people, clothing, house, cars, job. And then to take your trust off of God. This is what the devil will try to do. And he is out to destroy our life through deception. But that is why Peter says, resist him. Resist the devil's way of thinking and his deceptions. And our minds must be filled with what is right, with what is biblical, what, what comes from the mind of God. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, let me leave you with the practice of a humble life. And I just kept it simple. First of all, identify uh, Do this with the Lord, right? Maybe with a pen in hand. Identify pride in your life. Pride is the absolute opposite of humility. All of us struggle with pride at times. And so if that's true, then the Bible says, confess your sins. We will struggle to humble ourselves under God's strong hand in moments of anxiety because of pride. Right? So ask yourself, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Do you desire to learn and listen from spiritual mentors and leaders Or do you resent being challenged? Do you avoid being challenged? It's probably something you do with your pride. Uh, Call it insecurity, but it's called kind of all the same stuff with a different name. Finally, depend on God through a life of prayer. Do you depend on God through prayer? Or are you depending upon your skills and your abilities and your experience to get things done? 1 Peter specifically is talking about issues of anxiety in our life and pressed against the wall, some people just work harder but their spirit remains closed to God but they're being deceived because they're working harder but they're really not their hearts aren't really open before God and they become confused you may be self-sufficient and successful on the outside great salary great house you're successful in the sense of the world but you're still unsuccessful, unsuccessful in your walk with Jesus. Don't be deceived. There is a much, much better way. God wants us to be godly. God wants us to know Him more. And so the humble and teachable person lives her lives fully dependent on God. And the expression of this dependence is really a life of prayer. There are no shortcuts. It is prayer. And so when you face serious anxieties, they learn to cast their burdens upon God. And by the way, it's a gift, right? God gives you this gift of prayer. And yet it takes these moments, as we've talked about in our mentoring groups, of slowing down, right? Slowing down before God. Listening prayer. In the midst of our anxieties, we learn to cast our burdens upon God. Not just once, but over and over and over and over again. And he cares for you, which is so awesome. So I'm just going to leave you with, um, oh, I would call it my verse for the last three years. I am the vine. Oh, wait a minute. Can we read it together? Let's do it that way. Okay, here. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To me, the verse just says it all. All Right? Abide. Abide. The image is there. We got to be connected to Jesus, or we get weary and we die. But stay connected. God will bless you. So let's pray. Lord, you are. You are so sweet, loving, and gracious, and I thank you that we can just unload on you, and that you care for us, and that you love us. And like the father who waited on the side of the road in the story, the parable, you are that father who cares about his broken children, hurting children, even when we sin. You want to restore us and redeem us and take us to the whole next level of abiding in you and growing in godliness, growing to become models and leaders and so that we can pass on this life, these ancient paths of of holy dependence on you and listening to your voice. And obeying you in your commands. And so help us, Lord, to be people who are humble and teachable, willing to fight the battle of faith because we know the battle is real, and yet living with hope because we know you're returning again, living with hope because through your Holy Spirit you give us your power, your strength your wisdom, and your love. And so we commit all these things to you, Lord. Bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.